Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. All right, here we are, Chris. I'm excited for today's topic. Um, so far of all the topics we've uh, discussed, this looks like it's going to be one of my favorites. Man, well, I love it too. So uh, let's fight yeah. for attention and glory in who delivers the most truth bombs in this episode. Well, I'm going to have way more <laughs> questions, my friend. Um, um, oh. I'm going to need your help. Um, so why don't you frame for us where we are in the process, and uh, I can't wait to dig in. Yeah, so we're in this series, 12-part series, on really how to advance your leadership when you think about and process yourself. And, and you may have a role that does that as a leader of leaders, or you may just start to carry yourself this way. I know in many times in life, I've been in leadership roles where I wasn't the leader of leaders, but I carried myself that way. And guess what? I became that. So, but we are going to apply it to wherever you find yourself in sales leadership and in positions that lead other sales professionals. Um, you do not have to have listened to the other episodes to get the full impact of this one. However, if you go back and listen to them, you will see how they're connected and so as this leader of leaders, you start to set a pace and you start to perceive their reaction. This is the last two episodes so that today, as you perceive their reaction, you can attune to them so that you're not missing the signal. Uh, I like to use the word attune, like you stated earlier. And I appreciate this, that not a lot of people use the word. What comes to mind for you when you hear the word attune? I'll, I'll, I'll use it more and more now, just, you know, just to make myself sound connected. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think of the, the word tune and tuning in frequency, vibing, mm -hmm. flowing, connecting. I love it. That's powerful. And that's exactly the spirit of it. So a healthy leader isn't just putting out a signal. They're hearing, listening, feeling, seeing the signal coming back. And then they're adjusting. Now, go back and listen to this whole series. We're not talking about losing your core, shifting your values just to be approved, liked, or heard. But as you seek to have an impact, if you can't attune, then you're going to become ineffective. Yeah, it's um, kind of like a... You've used this metaphor, I think, but uh, that tuning fork, right? I mean, when mm -hmm. you're trying to match notes, and it, to me, it's, I mean, that 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 um, picture is really powerful for me because so often we we all come together. Whenever we a group come together, uh, often 
the the loudest, strongest voices not only come, you know, just don't they don't just come to listen, they come to talk and share their ideas and stuff and, and their perspectives and desires and goals. And we don't think about being part of, you know, being part of the harmony that's created, right? We think about asserting what's on mm-hmm. our mind, what we want, and we're not thinking about you know, hitting that tuning fork and just seeing if we can all get lined up first. And in the sales process, the way that we attune, and I'm, I'm reaching here, this is the first time we've talked about this. Um, the way that we attune with a client is by achieving an agreement. Mm-hmm. The problem that we're trying to solve, right? The worst thing you can do is come to the table with a solution and hope everybody gets it. Why not start with, hey, are we all trying to solve the right, the same problem? Mm-hmm. And that's the moment of attunement between the buyer and seller. And it seems like, again, another, you know, connection with leadership uh, as, you know, practicing sales as, as a leadership competency, you know, thinking to leading leaders. Um, if we've got something to sell as a leader, an idea a direction, a priority, a vision, the worst thing we can do is just show up and pitch, right? We have to attune with the team and make sure that it's connecting and landing on the team in the right way, right? So that everybody is, uh, is, um, you know, is, is willing to listen. They're not, they're not watching you speak in the meantime, thinking about their own problems, their own priorities and ignoring you. And then again, you know, causing more discourse. Yes. Discord, yes. excuse me. Bingo. You know, there's a saying that we use a lot now. Um, hey, read the room, read the room. Um, it's been used before, but I hear it used a lot more in vernacular anyway. And for me, as I think about this idea of read the room, you know, this, this plays out in extremes. There are people that aren't really leading because they're reading the room and just telling people what they want to hear. And there are people who are not leading effectively because they're trying to force a vision and they're not reading the room on the nuance, the nuance of this, of the positioning of it. How's the story coming across? And healthy, effective leaders uh, know how to put out a signal, but they know how to hear the signal that's coming back and then shift the frequency to achieve resonance. And that's the big idea. Once resonance is achieved, now we are on the same page. We're communicating. We're being heard uh, and, and hearing at the same time. And this is where the real juice happens. You know, this is where you really affect something dynamic. You you start a movement, you shift to sales process and see it yield incredible results. Uh, you become the kind of mentor and leader that people want to work for that. They say working for him or her changed my life. Um, in fact, I would say it this way, as we get into the practical, how you execute on it, what we're going to lay out today in today's episode will definitively explain why someone was the favorite person you've worked for and how to replicate that on demand over and over and over again. Right. I, I think my reaction to that is it's also where you can screw up, right? It's where you yeah. can do the most damage if you're not. So the, um, the other side of the coin is this could also be the reason why you remember people as being the worst managers you've ever worked with or, or providing the worst experiences you've ever had. And again, it goes back to either even customers, all of us sell, but all of us buy. And as buyers, 
no doubt we've experienced salespeople who have been disinterested or uninterested, not paying attention to attunement and vibing with us, trying to understand us before they go into their pitch. Yeah, dude, I love that. That's so true. So, it, you know, it is it is capturing the positive and negative of our most intense benchmark experiences in leadership. And there's a reason why it works, uh, because as societies have evolved over time, we've evolved to interact with leaders along these these lines. And so that'll be fine. I won't nerd out too much on it. So rescue the episode if I yeah, do, let's go. Uh, <laughs> because there's so much good stuff there. So yeah, let's jump in. Um, what we want to introduce to you today is a way of processing and sequencing this attunement. And we're going to introduce it this way. We call it meta roles. There are three meta roles you want to learn to switch in and out of as you need. Now, I'm going to explain these at a high level to help color it in. Uh, Jimmy, rescue the listeners at any point. We need to interject random humor. Um, well, I mean, and, and again, for the listeners, this is I've learned I learned this you know years ago. It is my favorite stuff. So pay attention. Mm, mm inspired love it um so uh, as societies organized even societies that weren't connected uh we, we see a leadership role developing that had um three pieces to it these usually existed separately so you would have like a king or a queen a political leader right you would have the priest or the priestess kind of this spiritual emotional leader, uh, the rituals that would have been fulfilled. And then you had like this prophet or prophetess, this truth teller, this person who's bringing the wisdom, right? So the king or the queen or, or the political body, because I know you do have a little bit of uh, uh, in Zoroastrianism in the Persian kingdoms, they had it expressed more in two, but most societies have expressed it along the lines of these three. You've got the, the lawmaking, right? The direction giving role. You've got the role that is the empathetic, the counselor, the connector, this, this uh, helping you know your place, the story. And then you've got the wisdom that's being passed on. What does our society learn? How do we pass it on to each other? How do we make space for a person to grow and develop? How are we transforming this tribe into an advancing group of people that can protect themselves and take care of themselves? So when you think about these, and you might have words like shaman used or whatever, uh, you see what we call three meta roles. And we define them this way. The leader, which is this person who brings energy, direction, they fill space with what they see, what they think, what needs to happen. The empath, they don't fill space, they meet space. Where, where are you? What's happening? You know, we use the term empathy a lot in today's society, which is great. We all do need more empathy, the understanding. And then the sage, the person that is asking questions, telling stories, they're creating space. You can think about this athletically, you know, um, an athlete is filling space. They're dribbling the ball in a direction. Maybe the defender is meeting space. They're meeting that ball where it is. The advanced player 
will oftentimes create space, dribble one way, fake and go the other direction. This is a really simple explanation. But the best leaders you've ever worked for may not have been consciously able to switch in and out of these roles. They brought the one that was needed when you needed it. So when you look back and go, man, this is the best leader I ever worked for. They brought leader when leader was needed. They brought empath when empath was needed. They brought sage when sage was needed. So one more time in terms of that space analogy, leader, empath. So leader fills space. Yep. Uh, Keep going. Empath. Meets space. So they are, you know, if you came to today's chat, uh, today's podcast with, you know, before we even did a light catching up, you had a certain heaviness or lightness to your being. I'm going to notice that and and meet that where it is. The empath meets space. Mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't, maybe I thought we should do a random episode that we haven't even planned on. And we're going to pause this series. I could come as the sage also and be like, hey, did you notice the headline today? Da, 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 da. And not even try to tell you directly. I think we should do a episode on something different. Um, and, and what's powerful about this idea and truly transforming and, and just invite the listeners to try it on human history up to this point has been defined by people staying in those roles from a leadership standpoint, right. leader and past sage, right? They were the king or queen. They were the priest, the priestess, the shaman. They were the prophet, the prophet does whatever. This is what makes the sport of leadership so fun to me. And we have the data. We've coached hundreds of people in this. We've seen them develop it over and over and over again. You actually can be all three. You can be all three. The well, I, would worst- say, I would say, Chris, you have to be all three. I mean, you know, a lot of folks talk about being a level five leader. What does it take? I mean, you've got to know how to show up. Um, and cause, cause you can, you can be, you can be the right leader for the right time. Um, but you can also go too far. You can be the right empath for the right time, but you can also have too much empathy and you can be the sage, but you can also create too much space. Right. Um, and so you've got to, you've got to know how to show up in all three roles because unlike Right in uh, medieval times or before, um, there was a lot of problems creating checks and balances between these three types of people. I mean, it created a lot of issues. Right? Um, we really can't afford to have specialists nowadays. We've got to have all three of these meta roles built into and developed into all of our leaders, so they know how to show up, and so that we can be dynamic. We can be. We can have organizations that uh, can move quickly, make decisions quickly. Um, and not kind of create challenges or miss challenges that um, that uh, create friction and delay our growth and development. Right on. We li- as they say, we live in a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Right. What that means is, in regards to this today, it is not it's not optional anymore. So the question would be this, you know. And, and, and I should say this real quick, because there are some people that are like, oh, this is an age thing. Like you start out leader and then you become the say, absolutely not. Um, I've coached people in their early 20s. Their sage is off the charts, their ability to ask questions and create space. And their team actually needs them to be more leader and direction giving because something's happening. Um, 
so it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with age. We'll talk about what it has, what it has to do with it in a second and, and how you develop your, your ruts uh, along these lines. But yeah, in today's world, it's not an option and it is possible to develop yourself in all three. Now, why doesn't that happen? This takes us to this question about like how we develop and and where it comes from, our, our ability to run in one of these more than another. Here's the way to figure it out. Notice what you do when you're stressed. Under stress, you will go to whichever one is easiest for you. If you're super stressed and you're more of a leader type filling space, you're going to start giving direction. You're going to start, right? If, if under stress for you, it's more about meeting that person where they are with compassion, you're going to do that, the empathy. And if under stress for you, it's to go into question mode and, and creating space, you're going to do that. Now, here's what's wild. Everyone thinks the world is like them. We all do. So in my mind, when I'm under stress, Jimmy, this isn't going to surprise you. I run to leader role the quickest, right? Without mm-hmm. awareness, that's where I go. And my wife could say to me, hey, you're speaking so passionate. I I don't like this right now. Well, in my mind, isn't that a signal to you that I'm stressed? But yet when she's, you see what I mean? So, So what happens is you saw a way of being one of these meta roles growing up. You saw it done very well, one of them. And so that's the one you were able to fill in your imagination with. And that's the one you do well. You saw one maybe over-exaggerated and abused. So you saw a parent who was too passive and now you're overreacting and being too active as a parent. Or you saw a parent being too aggressive and now as a parent, you're overreacting and being too passive, right? Just using the parent example, it's easy. So what happens is, you know, they covered this in the book, Talent Code. It's hard to develop yourself in a place that you haven't seen it happening. That's why when Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile, other people broke the four minute mile, they could see it happening. So unless you've seen leader modeled very well, empath modeled very well, sage modeled very well, it's hard for you to create space in your mind uh, to fill in the gaps, so to speak, of your imagination of what that behavior looks like for you. Yeah. I, uh, really? I, when I think about my own my own experience, Chris, I think about um, where I where I default under stress, mm. and it's um, it's definitely on the sage in terms of creating space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. In in my history, when I've been that when I default to leader, I always get punched in the mouth. Like I always I'll always end up making the wrong assumption, pushing too hard getting that conflict or that energy, you know, forcing back to me. And, um, because I grew up in a, I think I, maybe it's because I grew up in, a, in an environment, right. Uh, this big fat Greek kind of like environment where we were, everybody was the leader. Everybody was intense. I learned to survive by being that sage, creating space for those folks and oftentimes, um, avoiding the conflict, the challenge from too many leaders, too many default leaders in that stressful environment. Does that make, does that resonate? Does that make sense? Am I reading that the right way? A thousand percent. And it's exactly how, I mean, you're one of the best question askers I've ever met. So you, 
you're phenomenal at this. And and because you've definitely put in the work and grown yourself, you also, and I've seen this, and this is where we're going to help everybody get uh, developed yourself along the lines of leader and empath. But yeah, absolutely. You've, you've gotten the exact point of this. Your background shaped what you think is normal. And or so what happens, or just comfortable, or comfortable, right? Yeah. Even better. So what happens then is because you have an approach that becomes comfortable, it almost, it, it becomes a rut, right? A mental rut. You just go right to it. You start to fuse, conflate your identity as a person. You're a human being who you are with that way of relating. So I relate as a sage right? Or for me, I relate as a leader. That's who I am. I speak passionately. Randy, it's my wife's name. You just got to deal with it, (laughs) right? So I conflate, I confuse being and relating. Well, if I can separate those two and understand that Chris McAllister has an identity, he has a personhood that is different than how he shows up as a passionate person speaking as a leader, now I can start to grow the other parts of me. My approach can shift. I can change. Um, and, and most people have never had this thought. They for sure have never experienced the separation of who they are from what they do internally in their minds. But once you really do, then you can start to see, ah, I can learn new ways of being as the situation requires attuning. That's the idea. Yeah. So I, I, there's so many questions popping for me up. What I'm trying to think about now are development, how the how folks listening can think about their own development. Um, what I'm gathering from you is that even without learning these three meta roles, all of us as human beings, um, are likely to default to one primary or dominant role just based on the way we were raised. And so we can all look at ourselves the way I just did and say, you know, where am I? Do I, am I somebody that creates space? Do I, am I, am I highly empathetic and perhaps oftentimes too empathetic or am I that, or am I that leader that fills the space and wants, and and it, it may be, it may, I think that leader can, as you were saying, can, can, uh, operate maybe in a dominant way but you don't have to be dominant or have a dominant personality to be someone who likes to fill space. Right. Uh, so, so figuring out which one is dominant probably would help as a starting point. Um, but there's probably, there's probably hints of all three in how we as leaders operate just naturally without training that once we identify, we can fairly easily develop. Yeah, right. this isn't this isn't like starting from scratch. Absolutely. It's not at all. And we'll talk about how to develop it in a second. And I'll give you some killer uh, fun tips on how to do it. Um, before we do that, I'll just say this. The idea is so powerful when you just accept it. Like I can be all three of these. Uh, it'll start to color in some information for you in your mind where you have been those things. Moments of, you know, oh, I was compassionate here and empathetic, or I was asking a a great question here. Um, 
most leaders that are leaders of leaders, and that's who we're talking to in this series, absolutely do have elements of it. But here's what we want to do. We want to think about it like, um, have you ever been to a concert before where you see the person on the soundboard mixing the sound? Sure, sure. So a little nerd out here. I don't know Jack about audio stuff, but I love live concerts. Um, So there's those moments with like your favorite bands playing your favorite song. And the lead guitarist steps up to the front of the stage and is in a solo. Well, when that happens, it's completely different than listening to it on your headphones or even great speakers. Why? Because there's somebody at that mixing board. And what do they do to the lead guitarist? His, the microphone that's going into that guitar. Do you want to guess, Jimmy? I know I don't want to guess. (laughs) (laughs) They turn it up, right? So there's the master volume that's, all of the sounds, but they also have control over the individual sounds. So they can go, ah, lead guitarist is going up here. Oh, we're going to pull the bass down here a little bit, you know, whatever. So what that person is doing is mixing the sound. And if you could think about this, I've found this to be very powerful for myself and for other people I've taught this to. You are live mixing your life. With awareness, with awareness, because you're going to under stress when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, go to the one that's easiest for you. It's the one that you turn up to 10. So zero to 10, and this one goes to 11, right? Whatever your most advanced one is, a little spinal tap joke there. Um, so, So zero to 10, this is your range, right? When you're live mixing your life, you get to turn up these as needed. You say, well, that's not who I am. Ah, you're confusing being with relating personhood with these roles. How do you know this isn't who you are? Have you tried? Have you tried? Right. So once you start experimenting with this a little bit, if you're used to turning up leader to a 10, if you have an exchange with somebody on your staff that just needs empath and you give them a three empath and, and no leadership, you're going to leave that conversation feeling like you failed because you're so comfortable in this other meta role of leader, having it up to 10, this, this doesn't feel like leading to you or you've saged up the moment. And, uh, that was in your comfort zone. It's what, you know, you did it up to a 10, uh, and you, you leave the moment and you're like, yeah, I gave them what they needed. Well, and they're more confused because they needed some strong direction. Right. Well, that's, I think you're, you're actually making me think about my own behavior, Chris. And I think, you know, every time, if, if my job is to advance a team or advance a buying center or advance a buyer, um, I may default to Sage to get warmed up because that's my comfort zone. Uh, especially when the tensions are higher. Uh, but I have to default at some point to leader. I have to bring out the leader to move things forward. And, you know, and if I get pushback, I've got to be willing to be empathetic and say, yep, I, I recognize that. Thank you for bringing that up. How does that relate to where we have to go? 
Well, it doesn't. Okay. Can we, can we put that aside for now and just keep going? You know, so we've got to, in one conversation, in one, in one um, action activity, all three of these are going to have to play for us to be effective, especially if we've got roles, if we've got, if we've got brand new team, if we've got highlight amount of diversity in the team, all the things that make leadership, you know, rich <laughs> and challenging. Totally. That's the real street level of this. Most of your exchanges are going to be something like 70% sage, 20% empath, 10% leader. Mm-hmm. You know, 60% empath, 30% leader, 10% sage. When you're live mixing, you're bringing in the elements as they are needed. And pretty much every situation, if you're going to be aware and lead at a world-class level, you're going to bring all three. You're going to bring all three. Um, and, and so if you're only bringing 20% of empath to an engagement, a conversation you're having with somebody, you need to be able to have, as they say in singing, range. Right. If your leader is able to turn up to a 10, but your empath's only able to turn up to a three, you're going to be hampered by that lack of range. And so you're in an engagement where you're bringing 60, 70% leadership and you need 20% empath sprinkled in that conversation. You need that empath to be at an eight or a nine to be very effective. So let's say you came to the chat feeling heavy about something. Let's say it was related to um, something that was personal in your life, but I had faced it in my life. And let's say in that heaviness, you start out and, and I give a glancing nod towards empath after you've shared something heavy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, sorry about that. You don't, instead, I'm going to turn that empath up to eight or a nine. And I'm going to teach you how to do this in a second. Dude, that sucks. I would hate that. I'm, I'm sorry. That sounds exhausting. Um, you know, five years ago, I went through something. You have your own unique experiences, but I went through something that was a little bit similar. I tell a story for two minutes. If you'd ever like to find out what I did, I'd be happy to talk about with that with you more, right? So I, I like 20% empath, 80% sage. If, if you're a part of an organization I'm leading and I'm concerned for you, and it's not just a personal issue, let's say it's a professional issue and it's related to the sales system, and you're really frustrated about something, I might do 10% empath, 40% sage. Okay, so what can we do next? You know, whatever I'm going to ask around the questions. And then I'm, and because I'm really concerned about how they uh, potentially burned a client, I'm going to bring 50% leadership and go, hey, three things. I want you to get on the phone with them right now. I want you to let them know that you're going to follow back around in two weeks and three, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm making up a situation out of nothing here. And I'm giving you clear, strong direction. Um, yeah, you get it. Yeah. No, I, and what I'm thinking about too, is the other side of the coin. I, you know, it, there's probably a lot of folks listening right now who may be frustrated because their leadership, their leaders kind of have them, have them uh, pigeonholed or typecast as a certain type of leader, right? We can bring Chris in for this kind of challenge, but we can bring James in for that challenge. But James, we can't bring you in for this challenge. And, you know, people can, 
the people around us can observe how we behave and how we handle situations and just, you know, again, think of, and, and just think about the things that we can and cannot do. And then all of a sudden that creates limitations for us in the, in the workforce. Um, and I've, I've, I've experienced that and it's frustrating as hell. Uh, you know, many of us think we're smart enough, capable enough to learn, but we don't get the chance. Uh, we're typecast. We show up the same way or we're perceived as showing up the same way. And, uh, we miss out on that opportunity. Uh, but this man, I mean, this thinking, you know, if, if there's a CEO out there who looks at his or her leadership team and has people pigeonholed as certain types of leaders who are good and not good for certain types of challenges, uh, that might feel comfortable, but that's not optimized. That's not a team that is uh, resilient and aligned and capable of um, operating at full capacity, regardless of what's happening in the environment around you. That's a team that's limited. But if you can develop those leaders to develop their own skill set on the mixing board uh, and learn how to bring the right meta role to the situation that they're perceiving, uh, man, that's a that, that seems to me to be an amazing way to just elevate the productivity of any team. Dude, that, I love that application. I don't ever want to forget it because I tend to think about them, how the main leader is behaving in their meta role application. But that is baller and huge implications for not shortcutting the the, the team, not putting a false ceiling in place. Um, but it's really fun in it's it's really fun in coaching. I mean, anybody that's leading leaders, you're always coaching others. What's it like to be in the moment and and to to live mix it and be like, oh, I feel like they need a question here. They need a strong protocol. They need, you know, whatever. And, and you're really delivering to the moment of what they need. Um, and, and it's not just, you know, um, individuals. Oh, another thing on protocols is going to say this real quick. It's really fun to develop. Well, I'll save this for the end because we're going to get into the practical of it. So I'll make a note to not forget that. Um, one of the things that's really powerful when you get into the the conversations around this and you start noticing how you can shift and adjust your approach, um, you, you're engaged at a level that is hard to explain, but now engagements and conversations and meetings become more fun than movies because I am now getting fascinated where I might've been irritated. Right. You know, we talked about this last uh, episode. You can't lead people well when you're frustrated at them. And oftentimes if you're frustrated at them, uh, there's something you don't understand about their world. And so when you shift your approach, what you're able to do is, uh, you know, find out what their world is and ding, attune to it. Okay. We got to talk about practical application. How, if you're listening to this and you go, okay, I get it. How can I grow myself in the moment, leader in passage. Now there's a deep answer to this that we don't even have time to really go into. And that is learn to experience the identity you have being apart from your relating. Um, that is an obsession for me, but for people to have an immediate takeaway here, number one, find a character, real TV or movie, 
find a character who emulates the behavior you want to put forth. Um, here's what I mean. When I was learning about this, I had a guy who worked for me who was an amazing sage. And I would, I, I just would start using phrases he used in meetings. You say, well, that's not authentic. It's not yours. You know what? I use my own now, but sometimes you've got to copy someone else's till you learn your own. It's like modeling, right, Chris? I mean, it's like, it's the same thing that we, when we have a mentor or we have an advisor, somebody we respect, the first thing we do is model a behavior that, that, that reflects our core values, who we want to be, how we want to behave. Absolutely. Now, here's a fun way to do it. Find people in, in your real life. But a fun way to do it is also find a TV character or movie character that has this quality. Now, it's going to be exaggerated, okay? Uh, coaching a number of female CEOs where they tend to feel like they have to either be very aggressive to hold space in, in a man's world or very ingratiating, right? And they're not really walking in their strength. Um, and those extremes tend to happen. And so I'll just ask them, you know, what's your favorite show you have? And we'll start trying to find a character. Um, I remember one time we were talking about The Office and I just think Kathy Bates plays a phenomenal in her interpersonal demeanor CEO on that show. Because at one point, Michael Scott wants to go home. He's like, well, it's five o'clock and uh, I guess I'll be headed home. And what does she do? She sages him. She goes, if you feel like you've put in a hard day's work and you can feel good about that and you're done, head on home. <laughs> well, yeah, you can't, can't go home. <laughs> uh, on the flip side of that, since we're talking about the office, there was one time there was a diversity and inclusion trainer and uh, oh, yeah. you remember that episode? It's amazing. Amazing. And Michael's being, Michael Scott's being inappropriate in all kinds of ways, but he, he goes, Michael, may I have your permission to lead this? You know, and I was like, when I saw that episode and he asked that, I was like, I will remember that question forever because he modeled behavior for me on how to deal with a very extremely difficult person in facilitating workshops. Right. Um, and, for, and force would not have worked. Right. The leader wouldn't have worked. Yep. And the empath wouldn't have worked because, you, you know, why? You know, there's no value in being empathetic to someone who's being that bombastic and that crazy laser you've got to have that pattern interrupt with that real amazing question that just diffuses the situation creates space for them to move on past the yeah. uh, baton and yeah so somebody else could hijack a meeting emotionally and they just need to hear that was awful and i hate that that happened to you and it makes me angry to hear about it mm -hmm. you know it's 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 just so powerful so number one get a visual number two and, and Jimmy, you know, the practitioners fall off at step two. Masses of people will do step one, but step two, practice it in the mirror. So here's what happens. It feels awkward to walk into these ex other expressions, these meta roles, or it feels awkward to do more of it. And so it's almost like, you know, when I uh, increase my prices through the years, I would just practice saying in the mirror. So I would, there would nothing, there would be nothing awkward on my face or voice when I was like, yeah, it'll be $15,000, you know, just boom. Um, practicing it in the mirror in an, an exaggerated way. And that's key. Just like an NFL player 
will raise their knees higher than they have to practicing. So in the field of play, the brain regulates the motion and it's enough. It's just right. It's like when I started trail running, you get tired and you're not aware. You don't pull your feet up high enough over the roots and I would trip and fall. So as I would trip and fall, I started to just pull my legs up higher than I had to. And then over time, it adjusted and got. So if you have trouble with empath, you look in the mirror, find phrases unique to you, how you would use them and say, that sucks. I'm so sorry. It makes me angry to hear that that happened. You know, whatever are yours, practice doing them with your face, showing emotion. And if you're not very high in empath, it's going to feel funky, man. Right. Feel funky. Right. And, I, and I, as you're, again, as you're talking, I'm thinking about actually doing this myself. And I think one of the things that we want to make sure that we express is that this is not, I, I heard a sales trainer once describe sales as acting, right? Mm-hmm. You want to, you want to be so good at it that you can pretend to give a shit and fool everybody. Right. I mean, that's essentially what he was saying, right? We don't, we don't want to be acting, right? We want to be, we want to be uh, our most truest, authentic self when we're, because that's, that's going to, what's going to make us believable one effective too, but also make us want to keep doing it because we don't, none of us wants to wear the mask all the time or put the mask on only when we want to be highly effective. Right. So uh, absolutely. Yeah, man. So I'm thinking as I'm practicing, I'm going to, it's going to be my version of the model yes. that I have in my head, but that model is definitely going to give me something to, to hang on to, to hook on to, to get, you know, that visual cue to kind of be that, that strategy trigger that allows me to, to go into that, into that role. But this is my version. I'm so glad you added that beautifully stated, you know, the, the uncomfortable thing that people might feel like, yeah, is this authentic, um, that's the powerful reality. When you understand there's a you behind whatever your favorite meta role is, then you understand this. Ah, the mask serves me. I don't serve it. Most people, because there's no awareness between who they are and the mask they're wearing, the mask is fused to their face. They serve it. It doesn't serve them. Uh, so there's a rigidity in their mm-hmm. approach. I mean, that's the problem with the brain as you age, dementia and Alzheimer's and all these things. It's because the brain decays into a rigidity. You don't have a sense of wonder and awe anymore. And that's the whole idea here. When I can flip irritation into fascination, then I start to wake up to the potential of not only what this moment can be, who I can become, who they can become. So mm. get a get a visual, practice it, to the point that it doesn't feel like acting, but it becomes a part of who you are. When I started doing this, Jimmy, empathy felt like I'm not leading. This sucks. What am I doing? This isn't helping people. I, this was a waste of time and energy. It felt awkward. It felt like walking down the sidewalk in my underwear. Well, the only reason it feels awkward is because I've been driving the car crooked for so long. To drive it with straight alignment feels unnatural. Third, develop protocols. Now, here's the thing. You know, we talked about this idea of forming, storming, norming, performing, Tuckman's four phases of a team. When a team is forming, you need to be high on leader. 
When a team is storming, you're high on empath. When a team is norming, you're high on the, or you lower empath and leader to start to create space. And then as it gets to performing, you turn the sage way up. Where is your team at? What do they need? And what protocols can you develop for what needs to be heard? Because you're going to have to state things over and over and over. Like, let's say you've come out of a season where people thought you were insensitive in developing compensation packages. Then as you have exchanges with people and you're in the hallway and we do this in coaching, you're going to develop three things you're going to say every time in those exchanges. Hey, listen, I want you to be rewarded for your work. I hear what you're saying to me right now. And I'd like for you to consider, you know, whatever. So this protocol has these three statements you say over and over. You go, well, that's going to get repetitious. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. None of us have the brain capacity to take one exchange and always remember the intent of that leader after it. Um, we have to hear it over and over and over. And that's what effective leaders do. Develop that protocol. Yeah. Um, I could keep going on forever. I know we're probably at the point we need to land the plane. What for you, Jimmy, would you say if you thought where sales leaders are today, what they're facing uh, and the current environment they're in and the business market, um, uh, do you think just off the hip here, gut intuition, do you think, what do you think more leaders need more of right now? Just curious in these meta roles. Well, I think uh, it's interesting because I, I, the first thing I thought of was exactly the opposite of what the media tells us we need, right? So the people that we, the personalities that we see out there that have the most power, uh, the most popular forms of power, tend to be the most bombastic, the most, um, uh, the folks that separate us, divide us, right? Mm. And uh, create a, a level of, uh, of power that followers aspire to have themselves. And so they just kind of like, grab onto them. And then the, and, and the folks that create space, right. Um, they're highly effective, but they're not valued in popular media because it doesn't sell tickets. It doesn't sell <laughs> movies. It doesn't get eyeballs to the news programs. Um, and then of course, empathy, um, everybody has a level of empathy at some capacity in certain situations. And it's, it's a sincere thing, but many of us, when we're asked to be empathetic in the con in a context that we're not familiar with, uh, it's hard for us to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and, and, and express that empathy in a sincere way. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's way too much dominant leader. It's expressed all the time. We want to, when we have a customer service person who hears back from a client that they want to cancel, you know, the first, the first thought oftentimes is battle. Let's go to battle. No, we're not wrong. You're wrong. You know, mm -hmm. we did everything we're supposed to do. You didn't show up and do your part. You know, what about the sage that creates space? Right. And of course that's where today the highest performing organizations on the planet are also the organizations that, that have the highest customer satisfaction and loyalty rates. Why? Because mm. they create that space. They mm. seek understanding. Um, yeah. So 
I think that's, that's probably the long answer to your question. No, I love it. It colors in what we're talking about so beautifully in a practical way. Um, and I think, you know, if I could offer something for just the last 30 seconds, it would just be to say, generally speaking, leaders feel burdened and tired. And if you've hired good people, they want to get better. And um, some days we need fire. Some days we need care and understanding. And it feels like a lot of days need care and understanding right now. Yeah. And if somebody's looking for a definition, we talk about healthy leadership all the time. A great definition would be simply finding balance between these three meta roles. Yeah. Uh, man, talk about reducing stress uh, as a leader and being able to show up with the tools to handle any situation, any group of people, any personality without having to, without, without the need to just play one note. Yeah, beautifully stated, my man. Good stuff. I knew this would be my favorite topic. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm vibing, and we're gonna, we're gonna address this some more, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com. F L O R I S S Group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, Shift.com. Peace.